you're in children's church, I guess you are able to be dismissed this time. But you know, that was one of, one of those questions that I always love asking. What are you going to be when you grow up, right? Paige, you know, it was, it was, it's hard to see you not able to, you know, just shout with your hands. But, uh, that, oh, there you go. <laughs> Easy now. You're good. Billy, I'm sure you're, it's much more calm in your home. Anyway. Love asking that question. What are you going to be when you grow up? You know? Um, and I love to do that because a lot of times young people feel intimidated by that big world, right? They feel intimidated by what's the next step. And so, you know, working in high schools, uh, you know, being a mentor in the high school, I would ask the question, and, and a lot of times you get pat answers because, you know, this is what my daddy did, or this is what my grandfather did, this is what I'm going to probably do. And I said, well, what's your heart? What's your passion? What is it that's stirring in you? What was God speaking to you? In other words, when you step out in the morning and you think of what's going to make you just jump for joy and be happy about, what is that that's in your heart? And then you start hearing these different stories. And... And a lot of times, I think, so many times we get bound by cultural mentalities. We get bound by what is expected of us. And sometimes, sadly, is, is that not every parent has the same expectations for their children as God may have for their children. And so, I especially love asking little children, because you know, you never know what you're going to get from a little child. I mean, uh, Joshua, she said doctor and mommy, but she also said earlier, earlier princes, right? And so... You know, when you ask a little child what they might be, you know, you're, you might get the pat answers, doctor, you know, teacher, firefighter, uh, military. Uh, you, you might even get um, professional football player or professional soccer player or singer, or you might even get superhero because you might find some Spider-Mans and some, you know, uh, Supermans in there somewhere, right? And that's exciting to hear those ideas and what they have. You know, I was asking one kid one day, I said, what are you going to be when you grow up? He says, I'm going to be a mechanic or a, gr or a garbage man. And I'm thinking, okay. You know, because you know, I don't want to demean what the kid's thinking. And I'm saying, awesome. So what is it in your mind that wants you to be a mechanic or a garbage man? He says, then I can get dirty. Like, <laughs> hey, I got you. You know, you're one of those kids. <laughs> so... Anyway, <clears throat> I was reading a, a, a book one time on Improving Your Serve by Chuck Swindoll. And he encourages us to, to, to take that question and ask it in a different way. Let's imagine asking Jesus what he wants us to be when we grow up. And, and what he said, he says, honestly, I believe he would give the same answer to every one of us. I want you to be different. I want you to, to be a servant. And really, in all of my life, in asking that question, I've never heard anyone say, I want to be a servant. Because when you think of being a servant, you think of something different. You think of lowly or humiliating or lacking of dignity. But in reality, that is exactly the life Jesus has called us to, a life of servanthood. And so if I was to give a challenge to you graduates and to all of us this morning, that would be live like a servant. Be a servant. 
It doesn't fit society. Uh, it doesn't even fit sometimes our own definition of what success looks like is to serve. But in reality is what Jesus has called us to be. The, the road of service is the road to spiritual maturity and success in God's kingdom. Those who have grown up, I love that. Those who have grown up are those who have embraced a life of servanthood. Those who have understood that life is not about they themselves, it is about living for others. It's not really, it's counterintuitive, it doesn't make sense. Greatness in God's kingdom is determined by the depth of our service and sacrifice for the sake of the gospel and others. If we are not willing to serve, serving God through serving others, then are we really willing to serve? Are we really willing to follow Jesus? Because that's who he is. Jesus walked the road of sacrifice. He walked the road of servanthood. It's easier to admire Jesus than to follow Jesus. Come on, somebody. It's, it's, it's easier to sing about Jesus than to serve like Jesus. It's, it's, it's easier to learn about Jesus than to live like Jesus because if you live for Jesus he will take you to places that pride will not go. And so therefore, we need to live for him. Amen. It's kind of a, a statement that I read that kind of sums up the struggle. And it is, it is this. It says, the main problem in many churches is that we have people following a crucified Savior who are totally uncrucified in their ego. And, and doesn't that sound familiar in our world, right? And, and, and Jesus himself said, I he says, I come to serve and not to be served. Jesus is saying, look, I didn't come to be served. I come to serve. So when I look at this, then I, and I see that Christ has called us to be, a, to be a servant, to walk in servanthood, I realize that there's a motive behind that, and that motive is love. What is the highest calling? It is to love. What is the greatest gift? It is to love. Amen? I know I sound like a frog this morning because... Um, uh, East Tennessee allergies have captured me, and um, and 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 it, and it went down deep into here, and now it's up into here, and I am trying to get over it. Ah, we're gonna make it. <laughs> so, what is the high calling? It is to love. If you have your Bibles, and I'm gonna be looking into Philippians chapter two. I'm. Also in Philippians chapter 3, and in some various places, but I'm going to start in Philippians chapter 2. And I'm not going to keep you too long. Famous last words, right, Sean? <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, I'm going, to, I'm going to start with verse 5, but I'm going to back up and read 1 through 4 in just a few moments. But I like the, let me get to know you a little bit. I like using the New American Standard Bible. Sometimes the ESV um, and the New King James Bible. I don't use the NIV a lot because I, I notice that there's a lot missing. And, and so I don't use that a lot. Now I will use it at, sometimes to, to compare to. Uh, but you'll see me use the, the New American Standard Bible a lot because in, in Greek classes, that was one of the top versions that line up to the uh, to, to the Greek. So the New King James and the New American Standard are, are two of my favorite ones to read. Is that okay? You with me? All right, so uh, starting with the New American Standard in Philippians chapter 2, 5, have this attitude 
in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. The NIV would say, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. The New King James, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Wow. So what is that mindset? What is he saying? What, what is he looking at? What is he wanting us to experience and understand? What is the mind of Christ? Woo. Wow. To have that mind, right? We start with verse 1 there in Philippians chapter. It says, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any a consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Now, I don't know if you're uh, one of those who write in the Bible, but uh, I, I like to mark mine up, and every once in a while, I'll just get a new one so I can mark some more, right? And, and so, <clears throat> I mean, no, look, go get your Bible, right? Make my joy complete. I mean, know that, that God loves His people. He loves to be joyous over you. There's joy in the presence, there's the fullness of joy in the presence of God. And He said, make my joy complete. How? Because when you begin to experience this love, by maintaining, it goes on to say in verse 2, by maintaining the same love, by being united in spirit, intent on one purpose. What is that one purpose? It's about others, it's not about you. Because it goes on and says, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. That sounds just like the world, doesn't it? Just because that's supposed to be a joke, right? Absolutely not, right? I mean... It's the opposite of what society tells us. I mean, to understand the thesis, if the thesis is we need to love God and we need to love others, then the antithesis would tells us that we need to do something different. If the thesis tells us that we need to get all we can, you know, uh, uh, there's, I've seen the, the slogan, he who has the most toys wins or he who dies with the most toys wins. Well, the antithesis of that is, is he who can give the most wins, right? And so when you look at that, there's an antithesis. It's the Roman way of glory because to understand our society today, we can also see glimpses of that in the Roman way of honor back in the New Testament as the cultural context of where this was written. One, you have to understand it was a polytheistic society. I mean, in that society, they believed in many gods. And, and in that understanding, they themselves believed that they could attain to being a deity. I mean, that was some of their desire. They wanted to attain deity, deity status. And the higher they could go, the better it was. And, and yet, in our society today, we have a very uh, society that is becoming very atheist, right? So we, we, we look at being all those who believe in all those many gods to those who say, well, we don't believe in God. But in reality, they're really saying the same thing because what they're saying is, I don't believe in a being that tells me what to do. I believe that I can do my own thing. I can believe that I can be my own God. And so in reality, an atheist is really a polytheistic person because they believe in many gods because they believe you can be God, you can be God, you can be God. Everybody tells themselves what to do. Now, they won't tell you that. But that's the idea. It's the mentality that they have. 
I mean, if you look at the, the, those historic times, many of the emperors declared themselves as gods and expected people to worship them, to bow down to them. They would declare great edicts for those who would come and to give them uh, treasures and all these things so that, that people would come and worship them. I mean, you can look at all the different mystical gods back in those days. You know, uh, our kids today are, are acting like um, Superman or Spider-Man or, you know, all these things. Back then they were acting like Zeus and, you know, Nemesis and all those kind of guys, right? Because that was their, that was their god. That was their mystical god. Zeus, the god of the sky. Poseidon or Neptune, the god of the sea. Nemesis, the god of revenge. Aphrodite or Venus, the goddess of love and beauty. Nike or Victoria, the goddess of victory. How many like your Nikes now, right? So, the society, the dominant society or the dominant culture affects how we view even our Christianity. I mean, we, we always put it into a cultural context. It's always shaping, it's always molding us. I mean, when you think of 1 Peter chapter 2 and 9, but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous and, or wonderful light. We see that and we think, wow, God's chosen me. I mean, all these words, chosen, royal, holy, special, in our cultural context, we think, God wants me to be an elitist. I'm supposed to have everything. I'm supposed to have, I mean, you know, we, we, we bring it into even our cultural context. Well, you know, uh, the Americanized Christianity is, look, if I'm blessed of God, then I've got, you know, a three-bedroom house, uh, no, three-bedroom, two-bath house. I've got a, a nice sedan. I have 2.5 children. I've got a wonderful wife. Life is good. It's the American dream. It's got to be God. Right? Well, how does that same verse then match up to that uh, little young man in the middle of the jungle of Honduras? Right? Is he thinking, oh, I'm blessed because, you know, I have a two, you know, a three point, no, never mind. I mean, in their mindset, blessing is having a field to plow. Blessing is having like seven children because one of them children, one of these days might get to take care of them because there's no social security system, Right? And we're wondering, why in the world do you have so many children you can't feed them? Because one day they'll feed me. And so it all depends on the cultural context, the mindset that we have of what we believe and what we, uh, how we understand the call of God. Because the call of God should not be clouded by the cultural context or the mindset of our society. The, the, the depicting society shouldn't determine that. So therefore, what, what do we rely on? We have to get back to the basics of the Word of God to allow the Word of God to speak to us. And just because some slick-haired preacher has told you all these things that you should have doesn't mean it's true. Don't take everybody's word for face value. You get in the Word. Because it just might be that when you get into the Word, you find something different. The, the reason that many have been held back from God's plan is because they've not gotten in the Word. And let me tell you something. You might get $1,000 one day for doing this or doing that, but, but once that $1,000 leaves or something bad happens, then what do you hang on to? What if cancer strikes? What if hardships hit? 
What if a, a car crash happens, happens, Mary? Y'all do know Mary had a car accident, right? I'm glad she's here. I'm glad she was well. I'm glad she's alive. Thank you, Jesus. And God can replace cars, but he can't replace you, right? So we're happy that you're alive and well. The thing is, is that in this world, you will have tribulations. Those are, those are, those are facts. In this world, you will have trials. Where's that being preached at today? In this world, it's not going to be fair. There, if you love Jesus, then the world's going to hate you. That's what Jesus said. And look, when you go to college and you find, depending on which college you go to, whether it's Rome State or TCAT or Lee University or Princeton or wherever you go, you're going to find liberal mindsets that's going to challenge your faith. And guess what? Just because they don't like you or don't like what you believe doesn't mean you're any less than anybody else. It just might mean that you're greater because God says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. We've got to be ready. We've got to be prepared. For the call of God, because we've made it so materialistic. We, we look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 and 14. I press through the, toward the goal to win the prize of, for which God has called me heavenly in Christ Jesus. And we think of these prizes. Oh God, I'm, you know, we're on the game show, right? Let me spin the wheel. Woo, just my prize. Woo. I mean, and we're all about the prizes. I mean, look, even in the smallest little league, you know, everybody's got to get a medal today. Right? Because everybody wins. But that's not what the word says. Matter of fact, it says run the race. Run it. But not everybody, not everybody's going to get a prize. Not everybody's going to have this materialistic mindset. And that's the idea. So many times we believe we're more focused on the materialistic sides of the blessings of God than understanding that the greatest blessing is not what we get, it's what we give. The greatest blessing is being able to be a channel that God can flow through, that He can use us to touch somebody else. Because I don't know about you, but to see a person that I have given to walk away in tears thinking, praise God, they finally got food on the table, or praise God, their electric bill is able to be paid and they're going to have lights, that is such a huge blessing. I remember giving food at a, at a Thanksgiving meal for, for kids, impoverished kids in, in Honduras. And this, we literally had to wait an hour late because of some of the meal wasn't ready. And this kid passed out from hunger. Let me tell you something. When you put it into perspective, when you begin to give, and you begin to give yourself into those, in those systems, in those environments, it changes your perspective on stuff. Because then you realize that, man, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That word actually means something. It's more blessed to give than receive. So we see that the Romans had this, this course of honor, of offices. The imperial, the senator, and all these different levels. High class, middle class, low class. And... and, and, and it's proven because they've seen it in all these different archaeological digs and they've seen these different terms and they've seen these different levels. And what, what gets me is that there was the alienation of shame. 
Because the higher class you got, the further you distance yourself from the low class. Sound about right? Sound like a lot of that has infiltrated our society? But I love the teachings of Jesus because Jesus just puts it all into perspective and sometimes we don't even realize what he's, what he's doing. I mean, you got to realize Jesus was sitting down with sinners and publicans, right? And, and, and I'm sure that that confused his disciples because they're thinking they grew up in this culture, right? They grew up in this culture that, that, that hey, wait a minute, we, we view you as God. We view you as the Messiah. How is it that you're sitting here with these sinners and publicans? How in the world can you do that? You're not supposed to do that. Use us. We're the lowlifes. <laughs> We're the fishermen. You know, use us. We're the tax collectors. We'll go meet with these people. You, Lord, you're too good for that. And it, it confused his disciples. Not only did it confuse his disciples, but it made his, his constituents angry. Think about this. He's invited into the Pharisees' home. He's sharing a meal with them. And then comes this poor little lady who is a sinner and an outcast, and she comes in and she washes the Savior's feet. She's drying uh, his, she's washing his feet with her tears. She's drying her, his feet with her hair. And they're looking at him indignant. Why? Don't you know who that is? It's not just about, look, if it would have been some high class person, if it was one of their daughters or one of their people that come in there humbled, it, it would have been okay. Because this is a low class. can't believe this low class person, this servant girl would come in here and, and, and you don't recognize who she is? You let her do that? Jesus is trying to explain, right? I mean, think about the positions at a table. Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 14, 7 and 11, talking about going... Uh, 7 and 11. <laughs> okay, Je I'm sorry, I'm ADD, y'all. Forgive me. Luke, cha Luke chapter 14, verse 7 through 11, Jesus talks about, uh, you know, coming into a feast, a wedding ceremony. And in that, in that ceremony, Jesus tells them, look, don't go choose the seats of honor. Remember, we're talking about an honor society, right? And so their tables might be either long and the, the one hosting would sit on one end and the closest you got to him would be the ones who were in honor, the honored guest. The ones sitting farthest away would be the lowest guest. Or it could be a U-shaped, and they had the master table, and then they had those who sat down the, the aisles. And, and what Jesus said, look, guys, don't go in and sit at the seats of honor. Don't go sit at the head table. Because it just might be if you sit at the head table, there's somebody with more honor than you that comes in. And if somebody with more honor than you comes in and the host recognizes that, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get humiliated. Because then you're going to have to get up and you're going to have to move. And, and guess where the empty seat's going to be? The last one. He said, but guess what? If you start at the last seat, come on somebody. If you'll start at the last seat, and, and, and when everybody's gathered together and Jesus recognizes, well, wait a minute, you know, you're not supposed to be sitting down there. You're supposed to be sitting up here. You get honored. And then guess what? In front of everybody. Something about humbling yourself before the mighty hand of God. And in due season, he will raise you up. If you will sit in the low seat, God will raise you up. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So we see this teaching over and over again. I mean, the sons of Zebedee. 
I mean, here they are, they recognize you. Look, the, the, first, the first thing that I want to understand is they recognize him as the Messiah. When you come into your glory, they wasn't looking at him as just some uh, uh, teacher. Even though they said teacher, they said, when you come into your glory, can we sit at your right hand and your left hand, Lord? And Jesus says, you don't even know what you're asking, boys. He says, can you, I mean, this is, this is a PAD version, all right, Paul Anthony Dyer version. You, he's, you don't know what you're asking, boys, because if you're asking something, it's not mine to give. Can you drink from the cup that I drink from? Can you be baptized in the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with? Can you handle that? And, and, and the boys are like, oh, yeah, man, we got this. And he's like, yes, you will. But my right and my left is not for me to give. Guess what? Who's the host of that party? It's the Father, right? And that's not mine to give. And, and, and guess what? Now, we can look at all these innocent other ten disciples and we say, well, look, they were so upset with them. But no, you know what? They were just as guilty. They weren't upset because those boys asked. They were upset because they didn't ask first. Wait a minute. We wanted to be the right hand and the left, right? And Jesus had to go back and teach them once again. He brought them down to an understanding. He said, look. He said, the, the Gentiles, they lord it over their people. The Gentiles, they do that. But not, verse 43 of Mark chapter 10, but not so with you. But not so with you. That's not who we are. How many understand when you set a culture, you say, well, that's just not who we are. Look, we're not, we're not a culture of pride. We're not a culture of, of bigotry. We're not a culture of hate. We're a culture of compassion. We're a culture that wants to, to encourage one another. Jesus says encourage one another as so much more as you see the day approaching. Lord, we need more encouragement today than ever before. Now look, sometimes encouragement, I don't know how many of you had a parent that liked to spank you, right? Sometimes I got some encouragement in different ways, right? But it's encouraging. Thank you, Lord. We get encouraged. But, but we have to set a culture, and the culture was this. This is not how we're going to be. We're not going to look at each other. I mean, you know, Ephesians tells us he gave some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. And in a lot of societies, and a lot of times, we look, the apostolic groups look at it this way. Now, oh, the apostle is the main one. He's the big guy, right? And, then, and they, they go to this different structure, but that is not God's, that's not God's plan. He looked at it this way. Because together, whatever gifting, whatever talent, whatever you have that you offer to the body of Christ, whether it's, whether it's the person who's just so detailed that they can clean so well that that is a gift of God, or it's the person singing on the stage, or the person teaching a class, or whatever that role is, it's all important to the body of Christ. No one's better than anyone else. No one's got any higher clout than anybody else. We're all on the same page. We're all on the same team. We're all serving the same Jesus. He's the only way. It's not our way. It's His way. Amen. That's not so with you. You better get up here for I keep on going, man. I mean, even Paul. Paul, Paul had a, an ability. Paul's claim to glory in the Roman model. I mean, he could have, he could have gloried in that. I mean, it says in, in 
Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, he says, I myself have reason for such confidence. What confidence is he talking about? I have reason to have confidence in my own abilities and in my own lineage and my own flesh. He could do that. If someone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness, righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. But you know, Paul said, all of that, I count as loss. I count for nothing. Whatever we were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss because the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Think about that. He's glorying in the fact that he's lost it all because he recognizes that this world is not my home. Look, I know the world tells us, well, you need to get the best job to provide for your family, and I'm going to encourage my kids to do the best they can. I mean, Anna starts Lee University in August. Wesley's, I mean, he's shooting for the stars, dude. He's wanting to start Princeton next year. I'm thinking, okay, that's cool. Do your best. But do it for the glory of God. Recognize that Recognize that there's going to be times you're going to get knocked down. There's, you might not get what you want. You might not go where you want. You not, might not live up to all of your dreams and all those things. But I'll tell you one thing. If you will surrender your life to Jesus, if you'll, if you'll just humble yourself before Him, if you'll set your mind to love, to humility, and to service, I guarantee you, God will raise you up higher than you ever thought you could be. It may not be what in your mind you thought you would do, but you'll have more fulfillment, you'll have more joy, you'll find more favor, you'll be more fruitful, all of that. Because you allowed God to be number one. Look, the highest calling is to serve. Excuse me, dear. I'm not getting frisky in front of the church. That's later. I'll get in trouble for that later. John chapter 13. Jesus, he did something. He understood. He's understood. Everything was in his hands. Everything was his. It literally says in John chapter 14, or 13, it says, Jesus knowing that the Father had given him all things. In other words, all things were in his hands. And that he had come to come from God and was going back to God. He rose from supper. Guess what he did? Sorry, guys. Take this. He took a towel. 
took his outer garment off, and he took a towel, and he wrapped it around his waist. He told his disciples, he said, I'm going to wash your feet. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. As he's washing his disciples' feet, Peter, you know, he's the brash one. This is where pride gets you. Pride will get you separated from God. Well, y'all know why, y'all know, I know, I'm going to tell a joke. Y'all know why Peter actually denied Jesus, right? Because he healed his mother-in-law. <laughs> Mom, if you're watching, I'm, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. <clears throat> but Peter's like, you know, but wait a minute, you can't wash my feet. I mean, you're the, you're the, you're the king. Let me understand that the word Christ is not Jesus' last name, right? The word Christ means Messiah. It's a transliteration from the anointed one. We see that in Psalms chapter 2 where the anointed one, Christ is declared king. And so really, if, you, if you're accurate, you'd say, King Jesus. And he's the king, right? And so here Jesus, the king, bows down with a towel around his waist and begins to wash his disciples' feet. Now, you know, guys, this is something that's challenging, something that's, that's hard for us to grasp. He goes on in verse, verse 12, it says, do you understand what I have done to you? Because a lot of times we're just thinking of just Jesus washed the disciples' feet. We understand culturally that was something that servants would do when somebody would enter into the house. They would wash their feet. They would put oil on their head. And some of us need a whole lot, right? Get a little sunburn. Especially if you're a York. But I'm about there with you, brother. And so they would, that was the servant's role. It was the least of the least. Many times they would not even look someone in the eye. They were not even to engage. Servant wasn't to talk to somebody in high class. They would just come in, bow down, and they would wash the person's feet. And Jesus, the greatest example of anyone who's ever lived, put on a towel, and he bowed down before his disciples, and he washed their feet. He said, this is an example. Do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand? Honestly, guys, we, we continue washing feet because Jesus said, go and do likewise, right? But it has nothing to do with washing feet. It has everything to do with being a servant. Because in our culture today, we don't wash people's feet. Matter of fact, you know, what, what might be more appropriate is to wash their car. <laughs> but it's about service. It says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I, I am. Verse 14. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. If I've served you, you also ought to wash other people. You should serve others. 
For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm going to ask the graduates from high school and, or I guess high school, those going into high school and college graduates, would you come up here for a moment? Y'all stand right here. No, I'm not going to wash your feet. That is scared, ain't they? I can. I want to do something. I didn't have time to embroider. Because I couldn't do embroider anyway. But I couldn't. But I wanted to give you something. Because I want you to understand the highest calling that you will have, whether it's in communications or whether it's at TCAT, or what are you going to do? Heritage, right down the road here. Lee University, or whichever school we can get you into. (laughs) The idea is that the highest calling, the greatest thing you'll ever do, the more friends you'll ever make, the most humble that you might feel will gain you the highest ground in every position that you take. Whatever field it is, servanthood will help you reach higher. So I'm going to give you a towel as a that's the significance. Now, you might, you, know, you might use that to wash your car with. I don't know. But what I want to do is physically put something in your hand that you understand that God's called you something greater. And whatever that, whatever that looks like, whatever plan that is, be a servant. Walk in it. Because I believe God has something special for you. Father, I just thank you, God, for these wonderful young people. Lord, for the endeavors that that they will live out. And Lord, I know that each one has ambitions But Lord, let not their ambitions be clouded by the cultural mindsets of today. But Lord, let them be wrapped up completely in full surrender to you. Because even as the Apostle Paul said, not that I've already attained to this, but I keep on pressing. What was he pressing for? Lord, he's pressing to be the best servant he could be. And Lord, I pray that you will Help them to grasp that reality that as they walk in this world, the greater light is shown in the darkest places. And Lord, I pray that their light will shine so bright 
that they will rise to the top of whatever, in whatever field, whatever way you have them, God, that you will lift them up as they continue to walk for you, as they continue to bend their knee before you, as they continue to call on your name. You be the director. You be the orchestrator of them. For your word says the, right, the, the steps of a righteous man or woman are ordered of God. You be the one who orders their steps. And Lord, give them the wisdom to walk in those steps. Give them the wisdom to follow you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you guys.